So we continue our Advent series entitled Christmas Expectation, and we, once again, we, we started with the word annunciation, with the announcement. Last week, we talked about the proclamation and Mary, and the key word today is actually the word humiliation, and we're going to break that down and find out how that all plays out in the story, because we're going to look at the story through Joseph's eyes. So um, here are these words from um, Matthew's version of the nativity story and we start with the first chapter um, begin with the 18th verse here these words now the birth of jesus the messiah took place in this way when his mother mary had been engaged to joseph but before they lived together well she was found to be with child from the holy spirit her husband joseph being a righteous man and willing to expose her to public disgrace planned to dismiss her quietly but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph awoke from the sleep He did just as the angel Lord commanded him and took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she bore a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, thanks be to God. Amen. So the title of today's sermon is Actions Are Loud or Speak Louder Than Words. So let's start with this word humiliation. So uh, what's the key word? So the, if you look up the word humiliation, this is what I mean, to reduce someone to a lower position in one's eyes or other's eyes, to make someone ashamed or embarrassed. Um, the word humiliate, to make someone feel ashamed and foolish by injuring them and their dignity and self-respect, especially, especially uh, publicly. So when you look at this story, the very beginning of this story, it, you know, Mary um, ends up pregnant um, Joseph doesn't quite understand what's going on. He, uh, he feels humiliated. Um, it looks like Mary's family is going to be humiliated. Um, Joseph's family is going to be humiliated. So this, this, at the beginning of the story, it looks like this whole nativity story, not knowing how it's all going to play, it looks like it's all going to take a nosedive. And um, so it's either, you know, what's amazing, it's going to go this direction, but it actually, at the very beginning, it looks like it's going to be headed in this direction. Now, what's very interesting, so this is what I hope that we can learn today, um, and this is my teaching points, and so can you put that next slide up if you could be gracious enough, that next thing. Here's what I hope, and I call the, the three gifts that we receive from this Christmas story, and this is what I hope that we're going to get out of this message today in the next 30 minutes. What do we learn about God from this story? Number one. Number, number two is what do we learn about ourselves from Joseph's story? And number three is how does Joseph help us better understand the Christmas story? Those are the three things that are hopefully by the end of this um, message today that we're going to learn something about those three things. Now, I looked, uh, was watching the news this last week, and so Time Magazine named the uh, brand new person of the year. This always comes out in December, and, 20, and so the 2022 person of the year is this guy, uh, Vladimir Lezinski. Um, I mean, in fact, he, you know, uh, you know, Putin took on um, uh, the Ukraine people. It's not only Vladimir, but it's actually the spirit of the whole Ukraine people, which is amazing to me. And so it looked like, you know, that the or Ukraine's are just going to have to roll over to Russia because the Russians coming in and not so fast. And so um, he, uh, Vladimir, along with his people, are standing, doing their very best to defend their their place and their their country. And and so Time Magazine named him 
the person of the year. Uh, and so, um, uh, well, by the way, you know, they didn't, Time Magazine didn't ask me to vote, but I, chances are I would have voted for him. It's amazing. Now, here's another thing. I was thinking about this this last week. So let's just roll back and let's think about it from this perspective. What if Time Magazine uh, had to name a person, uh, a person of the year 2000 years ago? Okay, let's go back to this story. And so if I was, if Time Magazine asked me to vote, okay, if they did, they didn't, but if they did, this would be the person I, vote, I would vote for. His name is Joseph. I would vote for Joseph be, to be the person of the year. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you the reason why over the next few minutes. Now, here's the interesting thing. And in December, Time Magazine always comes out with the person of the year. But, but you know, for many years, for actually for 21 years, this person always had the most fascinating people of the year. Now, I don't know if you remember, but Barbara Walters, you might remember that. So, so from 1993 to 2015, for 21 years, she always had a list of people who were the most fascinating people of the year. Now, listen, if you roll back 2000 years ago, I, once again, I, if, if Barbara L. Walters asked me to vote, I would put Joseph on that list. Now, I went back this last week and I looked at some of the people who actually made uh, this list over, over 20 something years. And so she had kind of a, kind of a smorgasbord of people who like, so she would have people from the sports world, like uh, Tiger Woods made the list one time, LeBron James, Lance Armstrong. And then she had billionaire people, business people like Steve Jobs, Ted Turner, Bill Gates. They made it with us 20 years. Entertainers like Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Jennifer Lopez, they made it. A political people like Donald Trump, the Clintons, Colin Powell, they made the list. But when I looked at the list, I printed print the list, most fascinating people over those 21 years. Um, there were two to me that stuck out out of all of them of like 200 and something people. The first one was a person by the name of Nelson Mandela. He would have got my vote. Amazing, right? The second person that stuck out to me was a person by the name of Mother Teresa. She would have got my vote. Matter of fact, here's the great thing. On that particular year, should de- I want you to know, Mother Teresa was the person of the year out of all the people in the world. Uh, she was the number one person. She did beat out Jerry Springer. I want you to know that. That's really important. <laughs> But I actually have that on the list. She beat out. So you got Mother Teresa and Jerry Springer. So I was thinking about this this last week about, you know, fascinating people. And what was interesting to me when I looked at this list of the 21 years of all these fascinating people, billionaires, political people, sports figures, you know, um, um, entertainers. You know, uh, what was amazing to me is you look at the, the, the list and, you know, they all have like their thing that they've done to made themselves somewhat famous in that particular year and how they look at life, you know, how people look at life maybe a little differently. So then I started thinking about the Christmas story and I thought, okay, um, you know, you can look through the Christmas story through, well, a, a guy looks at Christmas, a lot of times guys look at, story. Christmas is something we do, right? Something that, you know, we, we go and do Christmas presents, we go and do Christmas, we do gift wrapping, we go, this, we go shopping, this is something we do. Uh, women have a tendency to look at Christmas as something like we, we want to embrace it, we want to be able to experience it. We, we love having our families around the table and the table's gonna be beautifully and decorated and, and there's something about it from you look at the Christmas story through a guy's eyes, you look through a Christmas story through a woman's eyes, and they maybe look at it a little dif- differently. And then I started thinking about my little granddaughter, 
um, how she looks at the story. Matter of fact, last week, my granddaughter turned five. This is what she looked like five years ago. This is what she looked like five years ago. And this is what she looks like today, right? And so once again, so children look at the Christmas story through different lenses, right? They look at the Christmas story through anticipation. You can't wait. I guarantee you, Marley is counting down the days, right? So, you know, you look at this story and this nativity story, this Christmas story, and you look at how different people look at the story through through different eyes. I went to, um, I went down back, my vacuum cleaner by God bless it, it, it died again on me. So I went back to Sharky's this last week. I walked in and, and so I've had, a, you know, the belt came off and I walk in and there's the Bible and I walk in, they recognize me. Oh, there's the preacher. And they, first thing they said to me, man, I don't know who you talk to, but we've had a lot of people from New Covenants come into our store. <laughs> And then they brought, oh, and they go, wait a minute, we're going to bring out the owner. So the guy, the owner came out, his name was Al. He's actually a preacher too. We talked a little bit about, you know, our stories and about preaching. And so, and so then I started talking to Dennis. He's working on my, my, uh, my vacuum. And I said, Dennis, you know, I'm preaching on, the, on Matthew this week on the story of Joseph. And I said, Dennis, do you realize? And here's the interesting thing is that there, Joseph only gets 17 verses in the whole Bible. To me, that makes him even more fascinating, right? Not only does Joseph not only get 17 verses in the whole Bible, that's it. But not only that, but he doesn't say a word. (laughs) Go back and look at the story. Now, Mary talks, you know, angel Gabriel talks, the wise men talk, Herod talks. Um, Everybody's talking, (laughs) except not Joseph. Which even makes him even more intriguing, doesn't it? I mean, it's even more of this mystery about this guy named Joseph. So 17 verses, um, and he doesn't say um, not one, one word. I, I think it's really interesting. I, I was listening to a sermon, I don't know, maybe it was like 20 years ago. It came out of Willow Creek, and the pastor talked about, he asked the question, you know, out of all the people that was on the planet 2,000 years ago, I wonder why God decided he was going to tap Joseph on the shoulder and say, Joseph, you're the guy for this job. And so if you go back and look, once again, you look at um, where the Bible kind of lands when it comes to Joseph and his part of the story, and we find more about Joseph in Matthew's story than really in Luke's story. um, Why did Joseph get tapped on the shoulder? And so actually, if you look at the story, the very beginning tells us a lot about Joseph. And here's the first little tidbit of information I want to teach on this morning is the word, the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. So not only was he a righteous man, but can you put that first slide? So, so we, we asked this question, you know, out of all the, first example is Joseph was, an, he was a righteous man in his goodness in the Bible that it indicated that he pursued an honorable, I thought this was a really interesting perspective. He, he chose an honorable profession. Now listen, what, how, do we know, um, how do we know what Joseph did? What, is, what did Joseph do if he was 11? Do you remember? He was a carpenter, right? Now listen, the Christmas story does not give us that detail. Matter of fact, we don't find that detail. Actually, the only place that we find, and how do we know that? Is because once upon a time, Jesus was, um, they referred to Jesus, isn't this the carpenter's son? We find that in the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter, the 51st verse, but it doesn't say at the very beginning of the story, oh, by the way, Matthew, uh, uh, Joseph was a carpenter. No, we find that later on in the story. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. 
which is really important. So he was a, you know, it tells us a little bit, he was just a blue collar guy. He worked hard. He didn't make a whole lot of money. What's very interesting, if you go back and look at the original Greek, I love to teach on this. He was a tecton, which means the ancient Greek word means for carpenter is tecton is a common term for an artisan, a craftsman, in particular a carpenter, a woodworker, or a builder. By the way, and there are two words for tecton. There's the word tecton, which means he's just like a regular carpenter or just a regular builder or some kind of craftsman who would work not only with wood, but maybe with stone. But there's the, we get the word architect from architecton, which means like a master builder, which I think is just fascinating because once again, you look at, out of all the people that God tapped on the shoulder and says, Joseph, you're, you're the guy. Well, the Bible says he's a righteous man. But he wasn't, even a, he wasn't even a master builder. He was just an average builder. He was just an average carpenter. He was just an average guy. Simple. So then I started thinking, okay, so what's very interesting, if you, uh, I would have never, know, never known this had I not gone to the Holy Land, but Nazareth is... Um, there and Nazareth was just a small little town 2,000 years ago. And so, what's very fascinating is right down the road, there was a, actually a, a pretty substantial city that was being built at, this, at that time. They, matter of fact, they called it the Jewel of Galilee. And it was called Sephoris. And so, matter of fact, I got a picture of Sephoris. This is actually um, a pretty substantial Roman city. Well, what's very interesting is as they were building the city, guess how far Nazareth is from Sephoris? Three miles. Actually, five Ks. It's only 3.1 miles. So what tells me is that, and what I love about this part of the story is that within a doubt, Joseph would have gone where there was work. So probably, you have to put it all together, Jesus was a carpenter, right? Who did he learn that from? His dad. Okay, so then we find, you know, what, what I love about this part is that chances are they would have gone to this very, somewhat affluent community. I mean, how do we know what's affluent? Matter of fact, can you show that next picture of this uh, mosaic of the floor? This is what's known as the Mona Lisa of Galilee. It's an, actually a tile floor. I've actually seen this. It's in Sephora. It's a fabulous place. And so it shows you the, ex the exorbitant wealth in this particular community. I mean, you didn't have this mosaic floor tile unless you had some pretty substantial big bucks, right? And so we have done the excavation. It goes back 2,000 years ago. And you t even to this day, you can actually still see those, these beautiful tile floors, right? And so the rest of the city is actually in ruins. And so it's still not there. Nazareth is there, but this city is no longer there. And, and the reason why I tell you this story and what I love about this story, you have to read between the lines. So Joseph was just an average guy. He was just an average builder. He was just an average tecton. He wasn't an architecton. He wasn't a master builder. So Joseph would probably go to Sephora with jo Jesus in tow. And this is where Jesus would have probably first been enlightened between the haves and the have-nots. The people had little like him like his hardworking father who just did his best to be able to put food on the table. And the people had this exorbitant wealth. And so Jesus saw the difference between the people who had lots and people who had little, which tells us a little bit more about how this whole and Joseph's influence on Jesus's life. 
All right, so the second thing is, not only was this your average builder, but the second thing, interesting thing about, can you put that next slide up? Is that the sign of Joseph's goodness is that he loved a woman enough to make a lifelong commitment to her, which is, and you know, we read in Matthew 118 that Joseph was, had pledged to be married and betrothed to Mary. And so this is a whole process. Um, when you were engaged, usually it was about a year or two. Um, they had actually no sexual relationship. There was nothing long going along. There was no hanky-panky going on um, during that time before they got married. The third thing is, can you put this next slide up? And the third thing is that Joseph, I said, honored God with his sexuality. Um, a little phrase in Matthew says, and so Joseph and Mary had, no, had not come together. So that's the third thing we think about when it comes to the integrity that Joseph was a righteous man. He worked hard. He was willing to make a commitment to Mary. He, was, he honored her sexually. He didn't take advantage of her. The fourth thing is this, is that he treated her with grace. Um, he didn't slam dunk her because Joseph was a righteous man and did, what, did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had in mind to break off the engagement. In those days, they actually called this kind of a, a divorce to divorce her quietly, to dismiss her quietly. And so when you think about this, this is a really big deal because once again, Joseph could have slam dunked her. He could have um, uh, uh, basically um, exposed her to public disgrace, but he didn't want to do that. So he decides he's going to dismiss her quietly, which tells us a lot about the dignity around Joseph. The fifth thing is this, is that Joseph was a man capable of hearing and obeying God's supernatural instructions. So in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, it says, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the gift of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And so what does that tell us? So when you think about Joseph, once again, he's a righteous man. He's a hardworking man. He's willing to take Mary, make a commitment. He doesn't expose her sexually. And so what's very interesting about this particular part of the story is that he's obedient to God. And God says, listen, I want you to do two things. First thing, Mary, Mary. First thing, Mary, Mary. This is really important. The second thing is, She's gonna give birth to this child and I want you to name my son Jesus. And guess what? Joseph did both those things. He was obedient. God asked him to do two things and he did exactly what God had asked him to do. He married Mary and he named Jesus, Jesus. And the sixth thing is, is when he became a father, he became fully engaged father, a fully engaged parent in the raising of Jesus and later his other children. We know that Mary and Joseph had uh, multiple children. We find that in the scripture lesson. So Jesus had brothers and sisters. And so I, I love this image. Let me put this in contemporary language. Joseph was a great soccer dad, right? And so, you know, what, what I mean by that is that we get the indication that once again, Jesus would have learned from his father. We know that probably Jesus would have gone with Joseph to Sephora to be able to be working. Here he was in tow. He learned about the trade. He learned from his father. We know that Jesus, that Joseph would took Jesus to, to be to the temple and he was dedicated. We know that when, when um, Herod was about to try to massacre the children and he had to get Jesus out of there, we know from the story that J Joseph did everything he could to make sure that his son was protected. 
We know that after he was actually, they flew for the life, they went to Egypt and they came back after the coast is clear. They felt like Jesus was gonna be safe. We know that, we also know from the story is that that Joseph raised Jesus in an Orthodox Jewish tradition because they went to the temple regularly as tradition. We also know that we find in the part of the story on the only other part of the story that we find that's connected with Joseph was with Mary and Joseph. They take, to G, take Jesus to the temple. He was 12 years old. They lose Jesus. What do you mean? We've lost Jesus. We've lost the son of God. Now what? You know? And so they find him. And then Jesus says this classic line, you know, mom and dad, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Well, why did you have to even look? You know, I'd be here. I love that. Right? And so we know that from this perspective, if you look how honorable and how righteous Joseph was as a father, we know that he made sure that Jesus was very fully indoctrinated in the Jewish tradition. He would have known the Torah. We know that they went to the temple on a regular basis. It was part of their tradition. And we find this throughout this part of the story. Once again, you look at this, Joseph only had 17 verses. It doesn't say one word. But when you put it all together, you see a little bit more about why God tapped Joseph on the shoulder and says, Joseph, you're the guy. He was a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to humiliate her. He was willing to make a commitment to her. He was obedient to God. He raised Jesus as his very own. So we have a, a little bit more, a, a little bit more perspective, a little bit more understanding about how this all kind of plays out when it comes to Joseph and his relationship with Mary and his his own children and his relationship with Jesus. So let me teach for a second. And so, can you put that um, uh, the uh, the graphic of all the names of the genealogy up on the screen? So I realize that you all cannot read this. Okay, I understand this, but the reason why I put this up here is that this, we find this genealogy. Um, actually in the gospel of Matthew, there's actually two genealogies. One genealogy of Jesus goes back to, all the way back to Adam. This particular genealogy, according to Matthew, goes all the way back to Abraham. This is important. So he traces his steps back to Abraham. Um, Abraham has Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We find this whole family lineage. So, but what's very interesting, I think there's around 50 different names up here. We have to ask ourselves, why are there certain people in this genealogy? Why would Matthew put these particular ones in the line of Jesus, right? We know that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come through the line of David. We understand that. This is important. This is a part of the genealogy. But if you go all the way back to Abraham, but then you look at there's some people on here that maybe you think, why did they make the list? So, for example, here's one name is the word Tamar. Well, you all maybe remember the story that Tamar, Tamar um, had a husband, um, had a husband. Uh, her husband was actually from uh, Judah, uh, which is one of the tribes of Judah, it was a really big deal. And so once again, um, she gets married to one of Judah's sons, he ends up dying. Then the tradition was that evidently when one son died, then if he was available, then they could be married. Then she ends up marrying uh, another son. And so he dies, and so Judah's thinking, is she the black widow or what, right? And so, and so he blames her, and so there's this, all this dysfunction, and she ends up becoming somewhat of a harlot or a prostitute. And so because she's trying to make, uh, make a living, she uh, is destitute, he bans her. 
And so then she ends up, this is, this is where Jerry Springer shows up. She, she ends up sleeping with her father-in-law, but he doesn't know that's her that he's actually sleeping with. It's, I don't know. I can't explain it. I mean, that's just more, this is PG-13, you know, stuff, but this is Jerry Springer. So once again, how, why does, why is Matthew put Tamar in there? Okay, then you go down and you look at Rahab and he adds Rahab. So who was Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. She was the prostitute in Jericho who helps the spies, right? And the Jewish people come in and they're gonna be able to take down Jericho and she helps the Israelites. And so she makes the cut. So then you got Tamar, you got Rahab, you got Ruth. Ruth, let me tell you, Ruth isn't even Jewish. She's a Moabite. She makes the cut. And then you got, and, and the, her name is not mentioned, but Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, she makes the list. It doesn't say Uriah, but it just says Uriah's wife. So then, and then you make this all the way down and then you get down to Mary. So we have to ask ourselves, why in the world did Matthew choose to this particular genealogy and mention these people? And here's the reason why I think it's really important. I think that Matthew really understood and he wanted the people and like me and you to understand brokenness. That, that Jesus came to redeem the world of brokenness. Jesus came to speak to people who have been humiliated like me and you in our lives at some point or have been exposed. And you look at the people on this particular list and you think about, you know, they've been abused, they were taken advantage of, uh, and uh, they're not, some of them aren't even Jewish, um, and they're prostitutes. And so what's really redeeming and actually really powerful when you think about the people who made this list, there's gotta be a statement behind the reason why they're on there. And I think there may be the reason why Matthew wants to see in that is that Jesus came to redeem the whole world, especially people who've been broken and which means you and me, right? So we have that part of the story and I think it's just fascinating when you put that in perspective. So we have that. Then we have the whole idea about, once again, we teach on this, about the Jewish wedding. So here are the three stages of a Jewish wedding. So a Jewish marriage was typically arranged by their parents, even as early as when they were children. Um, after Mary was of age, she would officially become engaged. By the way, I shared with you all last week, she was probably around 13, 14 years old. Um, after one or two years of engagement, the couple would officially be married. Okay, so what's very interesting, um, I, I want you to know, so this takes, this is a whole process in first century AD, right? To, you know, all, actually it could have started actually when Mary was actually a child, when, and the parents would have come together and this would have been arranged, so it could have been an arranged uh, marriage. And so what's very powerful when you put this all in perspective, I want you to know, this was well thought out. This is not what I would call a Viva Las Vegas. Can you put that next slide up? This is not a Elvis wedding. I want you to know that, okay? This is not a Viva Las Vegas wedding. This has been very well plot out and this has been thought out, right? So what's very interesting, can you put that next slide up if you could? So during the engagement, there was something called a mohar and a mohar was a price paid by Joseph's father to Mary's father. It's like part of this, this dowry that they, so uh, Joseph's father would have been saving money and this is part how they would do it back then. So they would, then it would be one of those things, it's almost like an alimony payment, just in case something happened that even Joseph died or if um, they got a divorce, then there would be money to be set aside for marriage. So we have that. So the next slide would be, there would be a matan 
or in, I, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that, either Matan or Matan, a, a, a gift given by the groom to the bride. This would have been like a wedding ring, right? So once again, it would have been some kind of monetary value or something. Matter of fact, nowadays, I think a wedding ring is really actually the average that maybe three months salary that a groom would spend on a wedding ring. So this is actually significant. By the way, that whole, that money that would have been set aside by the father would have been actually not a small amount of money. It would have been the equivalent of maybe buying a, a small house, so there had been money set aside. So then you have that going on. And can you put the next slide up? And so this is what we call um, a, 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 a ketubah. And a ketubah was in essence the marriage license. It was like the binding legal agreement that the husband was agreeing to care for his wife, a ketubah. And so actually I got a couple of pictures of what a ketubah actually looks like in today. And it looks almost looks like the tree of life, right? And so this is all in Hebrew. These are, and there is, they're beautiful and they would be signed at the, uh, typically maybe at the wedding ceremony or at some point, just like, you know, we do today. And so um, it's very, uh, it was very a big deal, it was powerful. And so we find that part of the story. And what's very interesting, all of a sudden, when you look at the story, is that Mary ends up pregnant. And this would have been humiliating, right? It would have been humiliating for Mary's family. It would have been humiliating for Joseph's family. And, and so, I mean, oh, I'm at Houston, we have a problem. Because, see, you know, the baton's been given, the money's been exchanged, you know, the marriage license is all getting ready. It's just... And all of a sudden, it looks like it's all going to fall apart. And so what we find in this particular part of the story is that um, Joseph does a very um, amazing thing. And, and listen, we can't, we can't blame Joseph. Matter of fact, when you look at the virgin birth, the first person who ever doubts the virgin birth is Joseph. And once again, I, I just did a sermon series about doubts and I, and I probably had more positive feedback at almost any of my sermon series over the last 11 years was actually about that doubt series. People said, Harold, it's so refreshing because I've had doubt it's in my life and I've tried to put it on perspective. And, and so doubts are okay. We can have doubts about different things, but you know, once here's the beautiful thing, doubts ask, push us to ask deeper questions, theologic, to help us have come to a better understanding about my relationship with God. And so... Joseph doubts the whole virgin birth thing, right? How can this be? And then, yeah, the angel of the word comes and taps Joseph on the shoulder and says, Joseph, you're the guy. Mary, Mary. And when she gives birth to this child, because it is the gift of the Holy Spirit, name him Jesus. So here's an interesting thing about the story. So Joseph, in the midst of all that, he, he could have actually slammed dunk Mary. As a matter of fact, oh, wait a minute, right? if you go back to Deuteronomy, she could have actually been stoned. She could have been killed. Go back to Deuteronomy. It literally says that if somebody, a Mary's situation, that she's done this abominable thing, she could have actually been killed. So Joseph, being a righteous man, does not want to expose her. Or, so he decides to humiliation. So he decides to dismiss her or divorce her. And he offers her grace which to me is just an amazing part of the story, right? And, and so what, it's, it's a powerful part of the story because it, to me, what I love about this part of the story is this story is not about humiliation when it comes to Joseph looking through the story through Joseph's lenses. It's not about humiliation, it's about humility. That's really, really important. 
Can you put that slide up about humiliation and humility, that one particular slide? I think I have that up there um, about, okay. So anyway, I think it's really interesting because humility and, no, um, it's that, um, uh, it's that, it's that part where I talked about, once again, about the idea of humility and about the idea when it comes to understanding. So that's okay. We're going to get to that in just a minute. I'm sorry. My guys in the back room, he and I are in sync and I'm out of sync. That's not their fault. It's my fault. Okay. And so anyway, so what I think is really interesting about this particular story. So Joseph doesn't want to slam dunk Mary. He wants to be able to make sure. And so what's very powerful when he, he says, I will take responsibility for this. So people can believe what they want to believe, but he led them to believe that it was his fault, that Joseph, that they actually secretly had, there's some hanky-panky going on, that it's his fault. This baby that Mary is going to actually have is really his, but I'm going to divorce her quietly and I'm going to go on my way, which says a whole lot about Joseph, right? No wonder God taps him on the shoulder. So this story is really not humiliation. The story is about humility. So I, I think about the story and I think it's really, really important. And I, I close with this little part of the story today and, I, and it just once again reminds me about the power of the love of Jesus Christ. And it's this part of the story about the light of love and the light of hope and the light of peace and the light of joy. And so let me just share this with you. So there's the light of love in the story. There's the light of hope. There's the light of peace. There's the light of joy. So um, a lot of times darkness can bring doubts. And so let me tell you something. Joseph's in a dark place because he's been, he's humiliated. He, his, he thinks that Mary's, his family's been humiliated. So sometimes in life, sometimes darkness can bring doubts. But hope brings healing. Prayer brings peace and eternity with Jesus brings joy. So I share with you all, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my friend Don Piper, he's a friend of our church. He's one of my best friends in the world. He's come and done revivals for us many times. His daughter's been very, very sick. Her name is Nicole. Um, they're firstborn. She's had, had cancer for the last six years. She had kidney cancer. And then it became um, liver cancer and pancreatic cancer. So I, I get a text yesterday morning, and this is from Eva Piper. Uh, Pastor says, Pastor uh, Harold, uh, my sweet girl joined the heavenly choir at 8:46 yesterday evening. Her passing was peaceful, and we rejoice. She is completely healed. Please continue to keep us in your prayers. Once again, we all know as parents, you're not supposed to outlive your children. But once again, the Pipers seem to understand something deep and profound about the love of Jesus Christ. Because once again, you know, this story, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we have some sense of doubts and we start questioning God, I mean, either you can go, you can either go this way or you can go this way. And they continue to cling to the higher hope of Jesus Christ because they, well, because Nicole's father has already been there. He scattered all out for her. He knows it's a perfect place for imperfect people but he also knows that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Amen? So um, I told you all, I would give you the three answers to this whole story today. And so here, the, can you go to this last thing? So here's, here's what I want us to understand. What, what do we learn about God from the story? God is the central figure to the story and Joseph is merely an agent in the bigger picture. 
Number two, what do we learn about ourselves from the story and about Joseph? Offering grace rather than humiliation shows one's integrity and humility. Taking the high road, taking the high road rather than the low road is the best road towards love. I just made that up. <laughs> you're not going to find that anywhere else. You can Google that and you're not going to find that. The low, like taking the high road rather than low road is the best road towards love. And how does Joseph help us better understand the Christmas story? Actions speak louder than words. By the way, Joseph never says a word in the Bible. Okay, so Time Magazine's never asked me to vote. Didn't ask me on the vote on this year. Didn't ask me, you know, when uh, they tried to figure out who was this person of the century, Albert Einstein. Didn't ask me. Uh, if you reel back time, I think that Time Magazine, uh, to me, if they would have asked me, 2,000 years ago, the f- that first year, century AD, if I was to ask uh, who was the person of the year, it would be Joseph. Because God tapped on and said, hey, you're, you're the guy, you're, he was a righteous man. But if I was to think about who's Time Magazine person of all time, let me say that again, Time Magazine's person of all time, if they asked me to vote, it'd be that guy. His name is Jesus. And I love and worship him. 